Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey guys, we got an ad. It's from SuperYaki.com. If you haven't been there yet, you really should go. It's this really cool website. You can go there. They have shirts for really great movies, also bad movies, but you know, the movies that film Twitter says you shouldn't like, but they're a bunch of idiots because of course you like National Treasure. Of course you think Judy Greer is awesome. Of course you want pins with Sofia Coppola, which I think is down okay with film Twitter and also Jordan Peele. Definitely okay with film Twitter. Go to superyaki.com and buy your shit. I know Phil has a bunch of stuff from superyaki.com. I have a bunch of shirts. I've got a I've got a written and directed by Ryan Johnson shirt because I'm obviously a big uh, Last Jedi fan. Uh, they got great Crimson uh, Crimson Peak shirts, which is a fucking great movie that nobody talks about nearly enough. Uh, their shirts are really soft. They're eco friendly, water based inks. They ship with compostable poly mailers for environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. Uh, it's a great website. They're a great company. Uh, Karen Hahn, past and future guest, is uh, has a couple shirts that she's done with them as well, which is fantastic. Um, and as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND, all caps, no spaces, at SUPERFRIEND at checkout. Can you believe this? You listen to our podcast and you get 10% off shirts and sweatshirts and pins and bags yep. from superyaki.com. This is a win yep. win for everybody, and we get none of that. Zero. <laughs> um, it's superyaki. That's S U P E R Y A K I.com. See you at the movies. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 
From the Petrona Towers, Petrona's Towers here in 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybar. And I'm Felisco. And joining us today is the queen of shitty 1999 movies, Jessica Ellis. <laughs> Hi. Glad and to be now, back. She's now also the queen of shitty internet because this is our third time going through this. Um, it's hard doing this shit over Zoom and Zencaster, but thank you so much for bearing with us, Jessica. Um, oh, I am coming back. I am so happy to be here for another fantastic film. <laughs> you guys offer me the best opportunities to visit oh, the worst films. This of- was our fault. <laughs> I I didn't know because I just it just shows up. Phil just Phil it, Phil puts it together. Well, and I mean, Jessica Phil, okay, wants to do entrapment, and I'm like, great. Jessica has great taste, and I'm sure she doesn't want to do another bad movie like she did last time. So I'm I'm looking forward. Maybe this is a hidden gem. <laughs> To be fair, Phil sent me a list. All of the movies on it were terrible. <laughs> well. But this I, one I had a horrible experience with. So he was like, I yeah, did. let's do that one. Well, so yeah. Tell- she, she, basically, Jessica was like, I sent her the list. And she was like, well, I have a really terrible story about entrapment. I was like, well, that sounds great. I mean, how can we go wrong? And then I will also say, too, and I think you felt similarly to me, Kenny. Neither of us saw this film in 99, but neither of us thought it was going to be this bad like both i went into no it just chance. thinking like this will be just a middle of the road pretty shitty but fine action movie from the late 90s this is horrifically bad extremely yeah. bad well as i said on a previous podcast this is the uh th- th- this movie has been whittled down in pop culture to one gif Right, this oh, her ass. Unfortunately, ass. Ass. yeah. Going under what I always thought was a laser, but it's actually just a piece of yarn. I thought the same thing too. I was like, it's not even a laser. It's, it's just a piece of yarn. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what everybody. It, it, that's what everybody like um, has taken away from this movie the last twenty-one years, and we're here to tell you that is the best part. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> it's a piece of red string with bells attached to it. It's a bad movie. So, Jessica, before we go on, um, last time you were on the podcast, uh, there were two very noteworthy things that came up, none of which had anything to do with Anna the King. One <laughs> is uh, you're a writer, producer, director, and um, you had finished a movie called What 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 Lies West? West? Yeah, What Lies West? I'm a shithead. Um, what Lies West, uh, you have since entered it into film festivals. It has gotten into film festivals, correct? Yes, yeah. But, you know, obviously the plan was different. You expect the people to be sitting in theaters and watching this movie. Yeah, the um, first the I, first couple we got to have actual theaters full of people, and that was great. Our last festival, uh, they canceled last minute because it was in... I feel like it was at the end of March or the beginning of April. I can't remember. It was 17 years mm-hmm. ago. I don't remember. Sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we did a whole online thing, which is weird because it's like you you still try to like rile up an audience and get an audience to buy tickets and stuff. And then it's just like deafening silence. Yeah. It's like, all right, everybody watch it, I guess. I don't know. Like, go ahead. So we're all trying our best here and it's yeah. just not good enough. <laughs> That's how nice. I feel. I will say it was nice because the film has a big like Twitter support base who mm-hmm. aren't able to go to where we've been at film festivals. So it was nice that people could actually buy That's tickets good. and go see it online and actually see the thing they donated to campaigns for and 
have not all gotten their rewards for yet because I'm very bad at those things. But uh, but yeah, it was weird. Film festivals are going to be weird for a while. Well, that's good. Congratulations <laughs> on getting into the film festivals, and hopefully, you know, the next step is distribution, and we'll see hopefully. It on, you know, Hulu like uh, Palm Springs. So that'll be great. Yeah, it's and, just uh, like Palm Springs. It it actually is is exactly like Palm Springs, except it's about two my, girls. My understanding is it it's a, it's, a, it's like a it's like a feminist hiking movie. It is, yeah, basically. <laughs> That's my my understanding. So, which is uh, very, how you know, I describe Palm have, Springs. The other uh, the other thing is, you were the first person to publicly declare J.J. Abrams sucks, and um, <laughs> you were totally right <laughs> <laughs> on our I podcast. Don't know if I, I was didn't the first yeah. person. You were one of the first because this podcast was like one of our first, right? So this was probably almost mm-hmm. two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And at that point, he's writing kind of high off Force Awakens, which was pretty well received. And I don't mm-hmm. believe Last Jedi had even come out yet. So Correct. there hadn't yeah. even been this like this like, oh, this is what it could have been. I think that that had kind of happened on Twitter. You before Return of the before well, Last Jedi, fuck the movie, the Last Jedi. You correctly identified J.J. Abrams would fuck this up. <laughs> you did. Congratulations. You did. I, I yeah. well, I, I had seen his. I had seen his other work, so it didn't seem like a you know. <laughs> a I know. To me, I, know. I, I had sat through Lost. Uh, it, I just, yeah, I. My opinions have not changed, and it was nice to see them validated, although I was very sad that uh, the trilogy did not work out so great. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that, you know, it's really, it's it's kind of ironic, first of all, that we're talking about Star Wars during the Entrapment episode. But the second thing that I'll say is is that, um, yeah, who cares? But uh, I'll say this. I When Colin Trevorrow was booted from the third movie, um there was much rejoicing. Lots of people saying like, thank God he's gone. Um, and then JJ comes in to save us all from ourselves. And then the script leaks that Trevor wrote, and it is considerably better than what we got for the third movie. And we yeah. all should just basically say, maybe we weren't, maybe we shouldn't have been jumping for joy that Colin Trevor was kicked off the third movie. I think we were right to jump for joy. But... Yeah, I don't think he's, him, JJ being lousy does not make Colin Trevor better. Just, just to be clear, I'm yeah, not suggesting it's Trevor. Trevor. I think it's like tomorrow. Trevor. Okay, tomorrow. Uh, here's what Trevor. What I'll say is this. I'm not, I'm not sitting here writing for, for Colin as a filmmaker necessarily, but the script that he was working from, that, or at least the one that has gotten out in the world, is considerably better than what we got for Rise of Skywalker. Yes. Now I'm yes. not saying that I'm not saying that it's a that it's a one to one situation here, but the script for Rise of Skywalker is such a steaming pile of shit that you're just sort of like anyone working off of a better script might have made us a better movie. That's really kind of all I'm saying. Yeah. I want do want to say one thing about scripts though. Sometimes <laughs> you have a script that's totally competent. Yes. Like the script for, say, Entrapment. Yeah, yeah, That has yeah, been yeah. destroyed by every <laughs> yes. single directorial decision that yes. was made. Like, I, I kept thinking, like, there's nothing about the, me- it, there's nothing about the structure and the mechanics and the d- dynamic of this movie that had to be this yeah. fucking terrible. But almost yeah. every decision they made from the casting to the score to the lighting to the locations to the casting of extras was horrible. <laughs> 
it's I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Kenny. I it was one of those things where when it started, I thought to myself, Oh, it's it's already bad. Like almost not even not no joke from the title card yeah. of highlighting trap yeah, in entrapment bad. that I was like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> it was not it was not I will say yeah. though, I don't think the yeah. script is yeah. That the script relies so heavily on exposition, exposition like it's true. It, it's like that was its big problem was that it tells you way too much, and then they go do the thing, and then it tells you way too much again, and then they go do the thing, and it's just unbalanced in terms of action versus exposition. It could have been all I'm saying is it could have been merely bad. Yes, um, and I am totally down with a merely bad low expectation. Uh, process movie, right? Um, I, I've seen so many of them, and like you know, it's every Fast and the Furious movie is this is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna do it, um, and you just—I I don't mind doing the whole shutting off my brain thing at all. Um, but there's something like like in order to be able to get away with that, you need style. You really need style, yes. and all the Fast and the Furious movies. And you know, as much as some people hate <laughs> Michael Bay, and I love Michael Bay, like there is a style to that that takes you from A to B to C. And this is, are, is, are they trying to do a, a high octane Hitchcock? Like, is that what's happening here? Maybe. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that might have been the it, – it feels – you know, the, the director, I think, had mostly done, like, British TV at that I'm point. looking at his filmography right now. And, like, it has that kind of soulless feel yeah. of a lot of mediocre British TV where there's just – it's just people saying things. There's no directorial, like, take on anything. Yeah. I'll say this. I'm going to I'm going to walk through five of this filmmaker's movies because it feels like this to me really kind of encapsulates him as a filmmaker. You've got Summersby in 93, the the um Richard Gere uh Jodie Foster movie where whatever. Uh Kenny's favorite film Copycat. Yeah, love Kenny Copycat. loves Copycat. Great flip. Um he he follows up Copycat with a comedy, The Man Who Knew Too Little, the the Bill Murray movie. Bill Murray movie. Oh, okay. Then he Which does is this movie. actually trying to be like a Hitchcock scoop, Hitchcock spoof. Right. So I'm sure he went from that to saying, you know, I can do a real Hitchcock. I I think I could do it. Give me or any script, I'll turn it. <laughs> there is a anything little bit a, of anything with an with an old ass man and a young woman, and I can there's a, I can. Yeah, I, I did. There's feel a real like, like shitty shitty Bond component to this too. It feels a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It feels like a movie that was predicated on the idea that women all want to sleep with their really mean gymnastics coach. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, 60% of the movie is him yelling oh, at her. Yeah, yeah. For, for, not being that, for not being good enough at gymnastics. <laughs> for not being good enough at gymnastics. And I don't think that's a fantasy that women have. I have to say, watching this and pairing it with Audition, which we just did, which we're doing uh, after this, which also has a very ballet coach terrible relationship going on there goes too. a little differently in that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but just to just to, to to wrap up on john i believe it's john emile um he does the core in 2003 and then that kind of hits the skids for him and he does basically just tv from that point on because that was a very very expensive movie flop 
But he does a lot of TV. And if you run down some of, of his oh, if you run down some of his credits, yep. just like movies like say like The Core, for instance, or Summersby, there are a lot of movies that like have kind of good log lines yep. and like seem kind of interesting. Yeah. And then they're all bad. I, I, I think this guy's a bad filmmaker he's doing some decent tv like he has had a later on he's done some really good he did a halt and catch fire episode that's great yeah he did he did so maybe he got better i I, I also want best film is copycat when all he does is copycat (laughs) (laughs) that one he really related to (laughs) i'll say this i think that it kind of it kind of folds back on what you were saying originally jessica which is that he started in tv you know what i mean so it's like starts in tv understands how to sort of and and obviously directing tv directing movies are two very different things right um and i think he just kind of got swallowed a little bit by big budgets and by sort of bigger scope and he's just better in a smaller you know smaller universe um but i mean listen this movie is just it's bad on a lot of levels but i would say to your point kenny on the direction this movie is so deeply misogynistic like it's such a shitty boy movie do you know what i mean that's part of it too that kind of bothers me where it just feels like the whole thing is kind of very much through the male gaze and the male sort of like perspective of things um even just the way that 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 Catherine Zeta Jones is directed in this movie there's she's, there's only one woman in this film really and it's her yeah and she's just there to act like a bratty teenager yeah she doesn't really have a character and in fact like you can't figure out for a long time, and I still can't tell if this is intentional, if she's actually lying about being a thief <laughs> or not. Like, she just suddenly is like, oh, yeah, I'm a thief, and then starts doing gymnastics and climbing his walls, and you're like, what? What? There's no... <laughs> there is right, no, don't... like, access point to understanding her character at all. <laughs> No, that and then that's that's terrible. That's by that. I think that is by design. I think that's what they were intending. Unfortunately, um, she's a thief. Like they give it, they give they 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 do the Sean Connery. I'll explain the entire movie to you at the end, and he he explains the movie, which is for some unspoken, unbelievable reason, <laughs> she is a thief that is so important. That that's who they are getting Sean Connery, a world famous thief, to turn on. Like his deal with the feds was, all right, I'll bring in Catherine Zeta Jones, this even better thief, I guess. <laughs> so the, the the whole thing while teaching her to be an even better thief. But um, she's been working at an insurance company for five years. Big front, like, big time front. It's a long con, long con. She's playing the long game. I, but like, she's an incredibly wealthy and successful thief. Would you choose voluntarily to work at an insurance company for five years if you could Too choose? Too long of a con. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> also, can Too I just, can we just talk <laughs> about her boss for a minute? Uh, Why? the truth? Yeah, like he <laughs> he says at the beginning that he left the FBI several years ago, but then suddenly he shows up and like FBI agents 
are doing what he tells them. And I literally I, that, screamed at the TV like, you're not again. an FBI agent anymore. Why are <laughs> they listening? Is... Why are you in charge of anything? And why, why would he give her are a you gun if his suit? plan is to... Yeah, I just... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the first thing I texted to, to Phil was, you know, <laughs> Will Patton as Hector Cruz, we're going to be okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know how you. I don't know how you go through the. You know the three Latinx actors in Hollywood in 1999, and then we'll go with we'll go with a, a white man with a southern accent and blonde hair for Hector Cruz. But uh, that's what we went with. Um, it's a bad. Yeah, will, it's a terrible movie. The script is very bad. I was wrong. I, I want to say. I want to say one other thing though. But it's also joyless, it, which I think is the problem. It, it's yeah, it's deeply boring, which is terrible too. But the end of the movie, like on the train tracks, the the final scene on the train tracks, feels like such a reshoot or a rewrite. Like it doesn't even feel a part of the movie. Like on some level, this idea, like this long sort of convoluted thing about Sean Connery trying to get her, feels like they were like, yeah, we can kind of jam this in, right? Like it'll just feel like a twist. It doesn't. It just. It's it's completely unearned. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. Also, it had led me to develop a counter theory about what the movie is actually about, mm. which is not a movie about two thieves tricking each other. It is a movie about two magicians yeah. who have actual teleportation powers who try to pull off thieving heists without using their powers as like a challenge. And if you read it that way, because like they spontaneously teleport several times in the movie. And if you read it as that, it's a much more interesting film. They have something to fight against, which is their own, you know, immortal, you know, magician powers. Your theory is also my theory, by the way. And it, and it, it upset me very much at the end when Sean Connery teleports and then you realize that he actually just ran under the track and he comes up the stairs and he's out of breath. And I'm like... Wait, you're telling me he wasn't teleporting? What is happening here? Like, because he does. He teleports out of her room. For God knows. Yeah, he teleports out of her room. How did he leave her room? (laughs) There's no explanation. He could teleport. (laughs) All right. So before we go any further on this movie, and I think this movie is one of the few that deserves a kind of a kind of a a line by line breakdown. Jessica, you had a you had an awful story relating to this movie. um, I heard. I heard a rumor about it. So, all right, this is this is a vulnerable and intense story for me. So it's 1999 when this movie comes out, and I uh, I had started dating a guy a couple months before, uh, and it was fairly casual. But like we'd meet in the back of Barnes and Noble and make out because that's nice. the kind of children we were. And um, but I had also met his best friend and fallen wildly in love with his best friend, and it was mutual. So I break up with the first guy. I'm like, this is not working out. I'm kind of into your best friend. And I invited the second guy to go see Entrapment with me. But, like, we were friends at this point, and I wasn't being super clear that this was a date. But, like, this was my move. I was going to take him to see Entrapment. You were entrapping him. Yeah, I was. I was entrapping him. So I get to the movie theater, and Guy I'm Trying to Date shows up with Guy I Just Dumped. Because he misinterpreted the signal and was like, yeah, we're all going to hang out together as friends. This is super cool. So so this is also, by the way, at the point at which I'm realizing I'm not 100% straight. So you've got like Catherine jo- Catherine Zeta-Jones writhing around on screen in a cat suit. And that's making me very uncomfortable with myself. And I am sandwiched 
between a guy who did not realize we were going on a date and a guy I broke up with literally that week for the entire terrible movie. And for that reason, I didn't even remember that there was a second heist in this movie. I retained no details past the first heist. You somehow found a way to make entrapment worse. Which is impressive. In this and of is itself. my great skill in movies and why I'm so successful. <laughs> Take any movie and make it worse. Yeah, let's hire Jessica for uh, our writer's room. She can ruin anything. That, that's a horrible story. I'm yeah. sorry that happened to you, particularly oh. when you were young and vulnerable. Um, and also, it would have been a bad story if you had just seen Entrapment. Yeah, yeah, it was that was not getting out of that day with a win. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, uh. so. Yeah, so this is this is really a terrible, terrible movie. That it's a has terrible movie. No redeeming qualities. Well, wait, it has one. We know at all times how close we are to the millennium, and oh that's yeah, something we do, we do, that we I do. feel like gets overlooked in a lot of movies. That's true. That's not a. That's that's not a. That's not a. You know, ephemeral point. Like there are f- shockingly few movies that we've done. That deal directly with the millennium. I'd say it's this and end of days. And that's basically mm-hmm. all I can think of that, yep. you know, and it was so on the president of the culture at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Like that guy in the sandwich board saying the Y2K bug was was developed by Satan. That was a real thing. I think people, you know, understand mm-hmm. that, that people were deathly afraid of this Y2K bug. So I appreciate that there were movies that actually, you know, flew into that. <laughs> Flew into that storm to some extent, but yes, the Chiron helped significantly. Oh, all yeah. of them. We got down to uh, hours to the millennium. Yeah, minutes. We really did, um, and it was meaningless to the story. Completely ultimately. had no point. Yeah. yeah, just like it was meaningless to the world. They predicted that one. <laughs> um. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give a brief synopsis of Entrapment for the for the people that haven't seen it. Uh, insurance investigator Virginia Jin Baker, uh, played by Catherine Zeta Jones, looking into a stolen Rembrandt painting, suspects that accomplished thief Robert Mac McDougal. Um, I love that they both have. Uh, um, oh yeah. God. Yeah, whatever, anyway. Nicknames? Uh, nicknames. Uh, is responsible. She decides to go undercover and help Mac steal an ancient artifact. When a suspicious Mac confronts Jin about her real intentions, she claims that she is, in fact, a thief and that the insurance job is a cover. To prove it, she proposes a new target that could net them $8 That's not billion. How she, proved dollars. It. she proved it by, she proved it by <laughs> doing <course>. acrobatics. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, this movie was written by Ron by by Academy Award winner Ron Bass and Academy Award nominee William Broyles uh, of My Best Friend's Wedding and Castaway fame. Um, Individually, not together. Uh, directed by John Emile. Uh, it opened on April 30th, 1999, in first place with $6.9 million against Idle Hands. It would go on to make $211 million worldwide on a $66 million budget. That is shocking. That this that this movie had repeat, like people going back multiple times to see this fucking thing. Um, and Trabant has 38% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 50% from audiences. I'm going to read a brief portion of Roger Ebert's three out of four star review of this movie. Entrapment is the very embodiment of a star vehicle, a a movie with a preposterous plot, exotic locations, absurd action scenes, and so much chemistry between attractive actors we don't care. It stars Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones in a caper that reminded me of To Catch a Thief, Charade, or Top Cappy. Uh, and the stunt sequences and Bond pictures, I didn't believe it for a second, and I didn't care that I didn't. It works because it's made stylishly, because Connery and Zeta-Jones are enormously attractive actors, and because of their romantic tension between them. I got a letter the other day complaining that the age differences between the male and female leads is... Uh, in several recent pictures, and to be sure, Connery is 69, Zeta-Jones is 29, remember uh, different wars. But the movie cannily establishes ground rules. Mac lectures that thievery is a business that permits no personal relationships, and so instead of questioning why they're erotically involved, we wish they would be. As for Zeta-Jones, I can only reflect, as I did while watching The Mask of Zorro, that while beautiful women are a dime a dozen in the movies, those with fire, flash, and humor are a good deal more scarce. All right. What the fuck let's is Roger do, Ebert? Let's yeah, do Roger some Ebert unpacking. was high when he, he wrote that review. <laughs> First, I, I before we unpack Roger Ebert, which I do want to, or, or <laughs> rob his grave, um, <laughs> raise him, um, I want to uh, ask why you guys think this movie was such a success. I think it was Catherine Zeta-Jones. She was coming off of Mascazora. There was no one hotter in the in the business at that point. Like she looked like nobody. You know, she didn't. She she had a very unusual quality. She was very intriguing, and I think it. And you know, the movie promised us lots and lots of her ass. So I think that was it. (laughs) I think that's it too. I mean, look, I think Connery was a, a decent draw as well for a certain audience old people um but i we you know this is our second Catherine zeta jones movie this year the haunting which was a big flop so Catherine zeta jones in and of herself wasn't the draw it was Catherine zeta jones's ass going under a piece of yarn that was the draw (laughs) and it's 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 weird and bad and gross to say but this is one of the few times i feel like they marketed the sex appeal of a young hot star and it worked. And uh, it's, it's kind of the exception. And I, I mean this in, you know, in, in a bad way, it's the, it's the exception that informs the rule. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, like so rarely do they just put like one. I remember very clearly was that movie, the big bounce that had, um, that had uh, Foster, oh God, Sarah Foster in it. Yeah. 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 And Sarah Foster was like just on the verge of having a moment. And Sarah Foster is obviously very gorgeous. And they put her in a bikini on. They, she overshadowed Owen Wilson on those posters, right? Just like Catherine yeah. Zeta Jones is overshadowing, you know, Sean Connery, a far more established star. And it didn't work because the movie looked stupid and people aren't just going to go for a young, attractive, uh, 
up and coming actress. But there is something about, to your point, uh, Jessica, something about time, place, setting, and context that just did it for my dad and all the other dads. I mean, it's also a classic male power <laughs> fantasy of, you know, a 69-year-old yeah. guy being able to seduce the hottest woman in Hollywood yeah. that had to factor in. It, yeah. it's, I, I will say that, you know, when I was watching this film, I was thinking about a film that I know you didn't like, Kenny, uh, which is The Thomas Crown Affair. Um, and, 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 and I thought about how if you cast the right people, basically what I thought is of Roger Ebert's review of like the delusional version he saw which is that two stars that have crackling chemistry and that ultimately you can ride that all the way to the bank, right? I mean, if that's working, ultimately it doesn't really matter. Those lo-fi sort of high-techy kind of 70s heist movies that this movie's trying to kind of allude to, um, you can get away with that if you have a Romancing the Stone and Out of Sight, a, a Thomas Crown Affair. Like, if you have those pairs of people that really fucking work together... And this movie, to me, and I'm assuming you guys feel the same way, they are so bad together in this movie that you're left with just this badly directed, soggy, slow, plodding movie and this creepy, weird, almost father-daughter, but they, but we're supposed to think Big they want to fuck energy. father and daughter. Big yeah. time. He calls yeah. this good girl all the time. It's That's what really, I call my daughter. That good it's girl. really creepy. They're... they're it's like he had never, the director had never met a woman in his entire life. Like the way, the, the odd thing is that if you're going to sexualize Catherine Zeta-Jones, like there are ways to do it considerably better. She, they give her the ugliest fancy dress of all time. Like I have never, the dress she wears, the ball that they make a big deal about is the ugliest goddamn thing ever. They yeah. don't know how to shoot her, right? Like, yeah. and and just every, like she just randomly sleeps naked all the time. It, it's like a 12 year old's idea of how to make an adult woman sexy. And it infantilizes her, which makes That's, it even worse. It, it, to your point, he do, he's never spoken to an adult woman or seen an adult woman. I would say outside of the context of barely legal pornography, because yep. that's how it felt. <laughs> Right. Like it felt yeah. like it, it just the whole thing had that like, for instance, your point about her sleeping naked all the time. She doesn't cover herself up when a stranger is in her room. I mean, he's yeah. not a stranger. She knows who it is. But like he's a stranger. Right. She's never interacted with this person. Like people cover themselves up when anybody walks into the room, you know, yeah. like anybody outside of like yeah. your significant other. It's it's absurd that she wouldn't think to do that. Um, there's also, um, as I was doing, there's a little bit of reading to be done about this movie, not much on the internet, but one of the things apparently is that Catherine Cedar Jones was actually fully nude in the bed when they were shooting the scene, of course which I'm was. just like, which I'm just like, okay, somewhat, hopefully I, I don't understand the context of that. I don't understand. We've all been on movie sets. There's absolutely no reason for her to be completely naked. We're not, there's no reason for it whatsoever. So if the director asked it. for it, that's fucked up. And if she did it on her own, it's also fucked up. Like, all of it's just weird. And it adds to this energy you're talking about, Kenny, which is that the way it's shot, it's shot to show you that she's naked without showing you everything, which is almost somehow creepier in some weird way that I can't – it's it's all very strange. Yeah. Well, and the weird thing, they try to give her their version of agency, which is making her the active seducer in the situation. But it's like – 
why in God's name would she be trying to seduce a 70 year old man? Like that's not in any way. But why would a 70 year old man be like so adamant about rejecting her that it doesn't, it totally fails. (laughs) Like it's the exact wrong way to go. It's It's interesting. You were talking about agency, Jessica, which I fully agree with. And the script is so lopsided in the sense that, so Mac is supposed to be, or theoretically is this master thief. And we, barely see him do anything in this movie. The whole movie is her explaining what she's then going to go do. Yeah. And he'll, and he like wags his finger at her from time to time and says, it's not possible. It's not possible. And then she goes and does it. But he it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Like I was thinking to myself as I, I don't remember which heist she's explaining to him, but at some point you're just like, he doesn't even need to be in this movie. Like he serves basically no purpose. No, he doesn't. Yeah, when they get to like the final computer room and he's just there bitching about computers and how banks are and how there's not bars of gold like he's from 1860. Like, it's just like, why are you here? This could just be a movie about a woman thief. You could have died in the first act and that would be how this movie was made now is that he's her mentor who gets killed for motivational reasons. (laughs) He's just keeping grandpa around Europe for some reason. Yeah. And to that, and to that, you know, kind of to that point and on, 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 on that tip to, to some extent, like the movie almost gives her too much agency. Like it's, 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 it's almost too intent on making it her movie that, uh, that, that what I'm trying to say is he doesn't need to be here, which you've already said, but what it almost seems like this movie exists to put Sean Connery in as many shots as they can without having him do anything. Yes. Like it seems like it was engineered to have him on screen as much as possible. Um, yeah, it's like it's like it felt almost as though they had to shoot him out or got got as much footage as they could with him being as inactive as is humanly possible to right. slot into the film later. Like even just like the scenes he has with um uh, Bing Rames, uh, who feels like he's playing the same role from the Mission Impossible movies, which is yeah. also, you know, sort of what it is. Um, but it's just, he also doesn't have, I mean, Connery is just too old for this, right? He doesn't have the framework. He doesn't have the physique for it anymore. So which like, Bing Rames he's says, not even in a lot you're of too old for this shit. And I'm like, yes, you're right. You're right. He is too old. I also, str- I, I deeply despise um the trope in a movie when two characters are in on a plan and speak around it when, uh, when yeah, no other, when no one else there. is there. Yeah. It's infuriating to me. Uh, it's so insulting to the viewer. It's such trash. Um, and I, I, I throw it out immediately when that kind of shit happens. Um, this movie is much worse than Thomas, <laughs> Thomas crown affair, which is so bad. Like this movie is this movie this movie can't even walk in to the 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 setting the museum in which Thomas Crown steals oh, his God. priceless pieces of art. Um, it's it, it makes me think the art heist movie is is maybe too hard. Uh, this I don't know if that's true. I don't know that this movie even really. Um, is trying. Like I don't, I don't get the impression that that anybody was really putting in the work or the time to make it good. Like it just felt like everyone's going through the motions. Has what, there been a really good art heist movie? 
recently? Let's Ever. look. Let's see. It's a good question. Because you you'd think it you think it would be easy because they're you know the whole the whole notion of the gentleman thief, which is very attractive. Um, and there is also the idea of like as opposed to stealing money or drugs, the unloading of the art is interesting to me too. Turning art into money is interesting to me. Um, and stealing from a museum as opposed to a you know a bank. Things that are kind of in plain sight, like it's there's a lot there to me, but I can't remember a particularly good art heist movie unless you know you think Thomas Crown is good, which it's not. So, but it actually <laughs> is. So it's there's not. that. It's so bad. Uh, so, yeah, but it is. Right. But I'll say this. Um, I I I, <laughs> I think that I agree with everything you're saying, Kenny. Which is that it's all it's all there for the taking. It doesn't feel like anyone's fully cracked it. I'll give you that the Thomas Crown affair, you know, is perhaps the best of the bunch and it's not the greatest movie that's ever been made like there is something that needs to be done with this that hasn't been done yet it it just i guess there's a part of me that wonders and we've we've had this conversation on this podcast before but like movies that feel like they're made by committee you know or by a studio that's just like yeah we've got sean connery uh we've got this heist script we've got this pretty competent director we've got this hot up-and-coming young actress like it's all there right like this and and the problem is it made over 200 million dollars worldwide so they weren't wrong no they weren't wrong it's 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 bad it's bad when shit like this happens it's bad when jurassic world makes a billion dollars and people think colin trevorrow gets to make what he wants after that no offense to colin trevorrow seems like a very lovely man gets very upset when people talk bad about him on podcasts (laughs) but um, what were you gonna say jessica what the movie reads like to me is that i think they knew they didn't have a great script or a great director but when they went out to stars they wrote it They told Sean Connery, oh, don't worry. This is going to make you look like a big spy star again. You're going to be in, you know, all these scenes that you have nothing to do in. Like, it's going to be great. And they went to Catherine Jones and were like, oh, don't worry. You're going to be playing a character with all sorts of agency and who's really competent and good at her job and who's great. And like, and then they just wrote a bunch of that shit in and it doesn't really connect to anything or have anything to do with the core of the story. Like, mm-hmm. this feels like it got a vanity right in both directions for the stars. And as such, like, it's it's like three movies. All right. We'll be back with the podcast in a couple of minutes. But first, a word from our sponsor. That's right. We got a sponsor. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they decided to dedicate every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts rightfully demanding a production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that reasonably serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings your tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND. All caps, no spaces. That's SUPERFRIEND at checkout. And if the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. That's superyaki, S-U-P-E-R, 
Y-A-K-I.com. Thanks for listening to that ad, guys. Now back to the show. Let's ask the million dollar question. Yeah. So, Jessica, uh, question for you. Kenny and I have been texting about this, or we're texting about this during uh, our rewatch of of Entrapment. Is Catherine Zeta-Jones a bad actor? Have we been hoodwinked? Did she win an Oscar somehow in a way that that doesn't make any sense? No, it would make sense. Chicago? But I want to hear the answer. I... I don't know. It's very hard Chicago. to tell with actors. Uh, yeah, it's very hard to tell with actresses whether they are bad or whether they are not being given good material or material that they particularly are good at. And she's one of those ones that's kind of right on the bubble. Like maybe she's not great, and maybe she's not. Her strengths are not being played to. There are some actors out there who I think are not great actors who have incredibly successful successful careers because they know how to choose roles or they're offered roles that play to their strengths. Um, and I think because she was so like gorgeous and unusual in in Hollywood when she got really hot, like people just cast her based on that, and that may not actually be, be what she's good at. But I don't know what she is good at. I'll say this, and I agree with you because I do think that. She's good in Mask of Zorro. Like, it's understandable why Mask of Zorro gets her, you know, on the radar. Um, And then she's in this, and then she's in The Haunting. And they're both, obviously, the 99 movies. And they're Um, terrible movies. They're both terrible movies, and they're both terribly directed. And she's so terrible in them, though. She is the worst part in both of those movies. Agreed. Agreed. I think Connery is worse in this one, honestly. I don't. I mean, I don't think she can like deliver a line in this. I, I, she, I really honestly don't think she can either. I agree with you, Kenny. Every line she delivers in this movie, it's like she's and, – and this is why I think to your point we should not be too hard on her necessarily. But to your point, Jessica, an actor not being given a, a life raft, like just being said to like walk the tightrope without any sort of net – and just go with your instincts at this stage in her career is unfair because yeah. I just don't think that she has the, the, the wherewithal to know the, you know, to understand the material, to understand the tone. Um, I'm sure you she know, she's does. good. She's 29 years old. Like I, I well, think that's, I, I almost think that's unfair. Like I, we've okay. seen so many 29 year old actors and actresses uh, at this point in their career have so many, has so much success in different genres, with different directors I'm going to keep riding this Catherine Zeta-Jones is no good train. Um, you guys both think she was good in Mask of Zorro, which, you know, I haven't seen in 23 years. Um, but just going through her filmography, you have this movie she's not good in. You have The Haunting she's not good in. You have High Fidelity I didn't particularly like her in. Uh, Traffic she's not good in. America's Sweethearts is a disaster. Chicago I want to put a pin in. Intolerable Cruelty. Did you guys like that or not? No. No, okay, it's but bad. What, I, I do. I, but hold on, hold on. I, I want to just. I, I want to defend this. Ocean's Twelve also bit. bad. Yes, I want to defend both of those performances a little bit. I agree with everything else you're saying. Um, and and High Fidelity was a big one that I forgot about that she is really not good in. Um, but I don't think she's terrible in Intolerable Cruelty. I don't like that movie particularly. I think it's obviously a, a lesser Coen Brothers movie. But I actually think she's got pretty good chemistry with Clooney, for what it's worth. Yeah, I, I mean, she does. I, I don't think it's her. I, I, I think that one's the movie. But again, yeah. like, I, I'm looking at this list of movies and, like, what does she have to do in most of those? They're not – I think she uh, yeah. may be bad at choosing roles or her reps are bad at bringing her stuff. 
Or she's not getting offered stuff, which is also another thing, too. Yeah. I mean, Kenny, I think this feels like the good time to talk about Chicago, because I do think she's good in it, but I think you have thoughts on the on the idea of someone winning an Oscar for a musical. I have two thoughts. One <laughs> is Captain Zeta-Jones can sing and she can dance. And to have someone who looks as uniquely gorgeous as she does, who also is in possession of those two talents is like a unicorn. So that's, and that's, a, so that's one thing. Yes. Um, so that is her lane Two, like winning an Oscar for a musical is different. It's a different thing. Like Joel Gray won an Oscar and I don't think Joel Gray had one spoken line of dialogue in cabaret. So it's it's yep. a different and, and 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 taking nothing away from the performance and if it's on film like yeah you're you're totally in the game and I get it but I wouldn't translate an Oscar win for a musical particularly a musical particularly a Fosse musical but a musical like that that's so about performance um in a you know theatrical sense and translate that to her abilities as an actor in any other context I mean, it's not like we're seeing it's not like for instance, Joel Gray has gone on to do a lot of uh, other material. Jennifer Hudson has gone on to do a lot of other material. Like that's just not their lane. They're brought they're 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 musical actors, and I I think that's really where Catherine Zeta Jones' strengths lie. So, yeah, I mean, did you guys see Rock of Ages? No. Yeah, I did, and she was terrible. But yeah, that's she, not her fault. I mean, the movie, it's the, the movie, yeah, it's the world's worst character. So I can't blame her. It's the I mean it's it's a bad movie. Um but I agree with you in the sense Kenny that I think that her when she can kind of go big, like go theatrical, which she does obviously in in Chicago and in and Rock of Ages, she just seems a lot more comfortable. It's when she has to like act like a real human being that she has trouble. <laughs> She's also one of these act actors who's fallen into like uh, a lane where they can never use their actual speaking voice. Voice, yeah. <laughs> Which you know, I wouldn't mind hearing a Welsh accent here and there. Yeah, God, that's true. She has an accent. That's interesting. I yeah, you totally forget about that. But she does have a slightly stilted way of speaking, and that's probably why she's always she's always in a different accent. And, I mean, she's I, I definitely playing yeah, Latinx. She's also playing Latinx acts, uh, characters as well, despite having no Latino heritage. Yep. But yep. Um, that's another accent she's finding herself in a lot. That is not her natural accent. I mean, this came up a little bit, but I'm a cheerleader, um, though mm-hmm. it's not the same at all. But like hearing Mel- Melanie Linsky talking her at, nor- yep. in her, you know, natural accent like that and Heavenly Creatures, I. It's different. It's just it's and and it's different. And this is not an argument against having people play characters of their same race with different accents. Obviously, there's so many actors who can do that, do it well. But um, some people, like Melanie Linsky or Catherine Zeta-Jones, fall into this pattern where they're constantly playing actors. Matthew Reese is another one, constantly playing actors who who are not of their same ethnicity, or of the, sorry, their same nationality. Yeah, I mean, it is it is strange that she is put in that box. And I will say that the accent is certainly... I certainly felt the accent issues in this film. A little less so in The Haunting, weirdly, because I just thought The Haunting was just such a mess in so many ways that I was almost I like... that was like, yeah, I didn't notice in The but, Haunting. 
but this one, she really felt like she not had a mouthful of marbles, but just that like, <laughs> I don't know, that like someone else's voice was coming out of her face. I don't know how to explain it. It, it was at one point in the scene in the, um, in the scene <laughs> in, in her bedroom, yeah. uh, the ADR is so fucking terrible. It's like they forgot to record room tone for one of them. it's it's incredible uh i I also just want to say that i found i found a piece of trivia that i love which is that sean connery and Catherine zeta jones's kiss or quote-unquote love scene uh was voted was voted the second worst of all time by readers of film magazine in 2003 narrowly before you say say that before you say just give any guesses what was the year well the, the well this is of all time the year that this was compiled was 2003. <laughs> okay, well, I'm telling you what it should be is Pretty in Pink because I watched that again and the kiss between Molly Ringwald and Andrew uh, McCarthy at the end is the most disgusting kissing scene I have ever, like, I was physically revulsed and horrified by it, but I don't. I doubt that's actually it because I don't think most people realize it. What What is it, though? I need to know. I also, it, have, a bad, I also have a bad way. I also have a bad kiss I, please, I would like please, to nominate. Go, go. Yeah, the, yeah. the worst kiss in movie history is, unfortunately, is in the best film. Um, in the end of <laughs> Kindergarten Cop, when Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Penelope Ann Miller uh, have their reunion kiss, Arnie Arnie literally looks like he is about to like predator her head off. Oh my! God. Um, but it, but everything about that, everything else about that movie is perfect. So. You know, <laughs> Ninety nine for me, but it's the worst kiss you'll ever. That's see. fantastic. Um, the 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 love scene that was voted the worst of all time was Sharon Stone and Joe Pesci in Casino. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's up there. It's, it's a bad one. Can't can't argue. <laughs> That's a rough one. <laughs> But I mean, I, yeah, oh, I, I, I will say, though, it really speaks volumes to the fact that they don't really have a love scene in this movie. Like they kiss briefly yeah, and it's terrible right. and it's awful, oh. but it goes to show how bad people felt about it, that it, that it ranks this high. Except Roger Ebert. Because there are worse sex scenes, I think, like actual sex scenes. Yeah, there Roger are, wor- there are worse sex scenes. Um, we gave our worst ones. Phil, what you got? Well, I mean, I I don't know if there's worse sex scenes than than Sharon Stone and Joe Pesci in Casino. Um, I'm trying to think of bad kisses. It's I don't have anything off the top of my head. I'm going to have to think about this. I'll I'll have something by the end of the episode, but nothing's coming to me right off the top of my head. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was that Anton Fuqua was originally attached to direct this, and he definitely would have made a better movie. Yeah. Yeah, by far. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's just walk through the plot of this of this disaster. Uh, we both mentioned a, that. Did, at the, did he do a ninety nine yeah. movie real fast? Uh, I believe he did. He do the um, the corrupter or the what is it called that that uh, didn't he there, do the? There's a movie called The Corrupter in nineteen ninety nine. That is true. Isn't that the? Isn't that the movie with uh, with Mark Wahlberg? And uh, what's his face? I think he directed that. Hold on. I'm looking it up. Pretty sure he did. Uh, Sorry, guys. Bear with me. No, James Foley directed that. My apologies. I don't think Fuqua had a 99 movie. No. We we could do his pros video if you want. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> training, so day this movie two, st- training day was two years later. Replacement Killers was the year before. Oh, that's what I was mistaking. I was I got it mixed up with the replacement because that also had uh, Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, of uh, Anne and the King fame. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, one of my favorites. <laughs> Oh, God, I love that you came off Ren and the King, Jessica. It really warms my heart. I just want to say that. You know, when I was 16, or I thought it was a wonderful <laughs> movie about another culture. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know. Half of, that is, half of that is right. Time, time has passed. It is about another culture. It, it's it certainly that. is. Um, so this film opens, uh, as any good film does, by um, a title card that that highlights the word within the word, which is trap. Um, just in case, you know, you guys were unclear as to what this film was going to be about. Um, it, it, it opens with like this this generic shitty night cityscape photography, night vision, shitty bond, Mission Impossible heist of someone stealing a painting from inside a... Um, I guess it's an office or a house in a skyscraper or something like that, right? Yeah, it's it's an office. It's I think it's an office, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then we're immediately reminded, as Jessica said to us earlier, that that the millennium is coming, uh, and that that's gonna that's gonna play an important part in this film. Um, but just kidding, it's not really going. It's just the thing. Uh, we then we then meet uh, Virginia a- Jin Baker. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, it's a very, very uninspiring opening heist. Like it's real boring. <laughs> it's like Blue Streak starts with a heist, and Blue Streak is a yes. Martin Lawrence comedy, and the yes. heist is so much more interesting than this ten movie. times better than this. Hundred percent, a hundred times better than this <laughs> heist. Where, where, where the only thing of of interest that happens is she repels down the side. We don't even know who's who's in the cat suit, but she repels down the side of a building, which you've yeah. seen. And then once she a gets in there, times. it's over. There's nothing that happens. Like there, yeah, it's hard nothing. to call it a heist. It's kind of just, I mean, like someone breaking into your house and stealing something is not a heist. That's just theft. Like heist requires extensive planning yeah, and I've- complicated <laughs> scheming. She just gets into a building through yeah. the window and then takes a painting. I've seen. Yeah, the this is just of, somebody. This is. I've seen the pictures of Watergate that are more interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would. I would watch Blue Streak twenty times again before this. Blue Streak is good. I mean, I Blue I Streak's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, we then meet uh, Virginia Jin Baker, Catherine Zeta Jones, uh, at her office um, with her skeezy boss, who's just like laying it on so thick and flirting with her so hard. It's disgusting. Um, but what, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but so she, basically she's working as a investigator at, at some fucking insurance place. It doesn't matter. Um, but they shoot this scene and then it feels like there's a cut to something else and we come back and it's now nighttime and it's like the same setup. It's literally like they left the camera in place. They changed the lighting and they were like, it's nighttime now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's embarrassing, but anyway. Um uh I I also I love that we're supposed to believe Sean Connery has hair in this movie. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's fantastic that he's got like that they're trying to pull like a uh, an Elton John situation where it's just like, yeah, he's got hair now. And you're like, but he hasn't had hair for like twenty years. <laughs> but anyway. 
Yeah, um, it's, it's Bruce, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce will also show up with it's hair in, in Sixth sure. Sense, and you're just like, I don't know if that makes the movie better. I don't know if that, that's a good thing. <laughs> you always wonder, is it the actor requiring that, or is it the film? Like, that's always my question. Who is who is insistent upon this point? It's a great question. I bet it's, it's a, a weird conversation it's to have. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you go to Connery and say, look, in this movie, we really think you should have hair? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I think the I think this character I think this character would not have succumbed to male pattern baldness. <laughs> he would have had um, every attribute you have physically, except he would have used Rogaine in his mid thirties. <laughs> that's that's the one thing I know about this. That's character. the one thing. Um, so there's this amazing moment. I don't know if you guys noticed it, where Jin is stalking uh, the Kryptonic building. I don't know why the fuck that anyway. And she's. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's like out, that's went that over my head. That one. That's like out of the uh, the Dennis Rodman movie. <laughs> that's out of Simon Says for sure. Out of Simon Says, uh, yeah. That's just some like leftover signage from Simon Says. <laughs> so she's she's staking out the Kryptonic building to see if she can find Mac, um, and she <laughs> takes a sip from her iced coffee and puts it on the dash, and then they show the passage of time by the the iced coffee going down. Did you notice this? How I, did you not notice that? I, I didn't because at that point I had already stopped keeping my eyes on the screen for most of the film. You went straight to the second screen. I gave it, I gave it like eight minutes and decided that was enough to That's judge totally the movie. I have a like uh, uh, gag reflex revulsion um, by looking at milk or milk-like products on <laughs> glass or other translucent substances or not translucent <laughs> other transparent substances so there is something particularly revolting to me about a uh, a a five six finished ice latte sitting on a dashboard where there's Cooking definitely in the sun. a ring definitely a ring on that dashboard put it in a cup holder for Christ's sakes that's disgusting and then she also eats something which just looks like it, it looks like a piece of bib yeah. lettuce and then she's just she, she just she just picked up a head of iceberg and is just chowing down I love that this is I love that this scene tapped into all of your food issues it's fantastic oh, it's yeah, let's stop talking about the movie and just break down this coffee aversion, this milk aversion oh. thing this is what I want to know about I, I got these I got uh. these things right I don't know really how to explain it but like I have all it's these called like, obsessive issues. compulsive disorder I I'm <laughs> that's true I am I am OCD in real life and yeah. one of and one of my things is just like <laughs> there's something about there's something about creamy substances, uh, particularly like liquidy, viscousy, creamy substances on this is plastic. so Freudian, man. Makes me, makes me is- <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. But this <laughs> this happened this happened before I even knew what it what, <laughs> what semen was. <laughs> this this goes back so like you you you. you, you I hesitate to think what happened to me in the developmental <laughs> stages that made it. This is amazing. Yeah, I love this. this it, is- it's super. It's it's super gross to me. And now the fact that you just pointed out how clear how clear it is where this comes from really, really is making me question everything that's happened in my life. See, this who knew? Is why you who guys knew that entrapment? 
Oh, no, for sure. Not, this isn't the only reason, but this is a big one. This may this may have bumped the movie up a few points. This this revelation. <laughs> so it was so it was during the podcast where about entrapment, where Jessica said she realized she wasn't hundred percent straight. Where I realized I wasn't hundred percent straight. <laughs> That's happening. That's I'm, happening just, I'm the fairy of bisexualism. That is happening a lot of these podcasts lately. Where That's I'm like, fantastic. Hmm, am I 100% straight uh, anymore? Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, let's keep going. Well, I, uh, well, I cruise the net. We're gonna keep going. Uh, at this, at this, at this point, at this point in the film, uh, Max sneaks into her her bedroom in the middle of the night or teleports. My my apologies. Uh, into her room, uh, and she tries to entrap him with a proposition claiming that she's a professional thief and that she can help him steal a priceless Chinese mask from the well-guarded Bedford Palace. Um, and uh, then he tells her some fucking stupid rules like, I don't know, never carry a gun. You carry a gun, you may be tempted to use it or some nonsense. It's a pretty good rule. But I like he that. Does he does have a line in this. never matters. Never matters. Never, never, never matters. That's but more of a, that's more of a general a- gun control rule. I think he was just espousing <laughs> at that point. It's just, this is why you don't keep a gun <laughs> yeah. in your house, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure There's, it's unloaded. Yeah. He has a great line in this scene, though, where she says, he tells her to meet her outside the hotel at 9 a.m. And she's like, how do I know you'll be there? And he says, I'm never late. If I'm late, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, but the setup for that line is so stupid. Meet me outside the oh, hotel. Yeah. How do I know yeah. you'll be there? Like, big fucking deal if he's not. Like, what well, do you what, I mean? He just told you that he'd be there. Like, like he proposed it. I, I like. W- what have you lost? Like, I don't even get you. Like that is yeah. some that is some like shit that sounds like it would happen in this movie, but doesn't yep. make any sense in the context and just exists to set up the line. That, Phil, you were totally blinded by. You're like ah, forget <laughs> setup. That line's too funny. <laughs> no, I agree. I got blinded by it. I liked the payoff enough that I didn't yeah. care about the setup. It's true, you like the payoff. <laughs> So they travel to Scotland to plan a very complicated theft at Max hideout in an isolated castle. Uh, they then have uh, uh, an exchange. Ma- Ma- I'm sorry. What was that? You just said Max. Max. What? In a what? What? Mac has a hideout in an isolated <laughs> castle. Right. He has in, a hideout in, in an isolated castle in Scotland. In Scotland. Um, and then very, they walk into her. They walk into her bedroom. She puts down her bag and he says, good night then. And she says, but it's early. And he says, we have an early start. And she says, but I'm not tired. That's how I seduce people. I try to act as much like an eight year old girl as possible. It works every time. And I try to act, I try to act like Michael Caine inside our house rules. <laughs> my oh, boy. So, oh my god wow I, that's I, dark <laughs> is it that's what it's like <laughs> my, my, michael kane is the best known michael kane inside house rules is the best known old man character who puts young people to bed this is true this is he does that, you're absolutely right he does put people why. to bed not a lot of that not, movie not because he did that because he does abortions guys. abortions <laughs> <laughs> he does say good night, you kings of Maine, you princes of yeah. New England, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, yeah. um, God, your minds are in the gutter all the time. My apologies. Telling you about the milk, skills like- section on his nanny like CV is extremely strange. It's like good <laughs> at true. putting children to sleep and performing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a double edged sword. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the future liberals want. 
will shut your child up no matter what. Well, that is the future. That's amazing. Uh, So then Jin admits that she stole the Rembrandt by leaping off of the second floor balcony (laughs) to show that she she can do gymnastics. She scaled, she scaled she scaled a straight up and down wall oh. to get up there because they just they show you on they show her on the ground oh, and then so they good. show her thirty feet up in the air where there's like a beam uh, again and she's revealing her teleportation yes, power attracts, yeah. yeah. He revealed his in her room and now to prove it she is also showing that she can teleport. And there's this like running theme through the movie. So basically she does like a series of ballet inspired capoeira up there. I'm not really sure what she's doing, but I think you get the (laughs) the gist if I say that. And she does a flip onto a table and ends it by saying perfect. And there's this this theme running through where it's like she's perfect, I think is the theme. But the, 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 the text of the movie is how not perfect she is. Like she literally can't count to five at one point. He's like, <laughs> remember when they're doing the bongs and she forgets the yeah. fifth bong yep. Yep. and yep. she yep. she's like, she's like, Oh, I just, uh, I forgot. I forgot. I, you know, <laughs> but this is, this is pre cell phone, like pre, you know, smartphone. There, I don't know how anyone would forget anything before, before you had a smartphone. My favorite ridiculous part that in that training sequence is when they're putting up the red thread for her to train with, and he's like shouting at her to make it really tight while she's pulling it over a, a, to another beam to tie it to. And it's like, there was no reason for her to make the thread tight until she gets to the other beam. And he's just yelling at her that she's allowing yep. slack yeah. in the thread, which does yep. not matter. And it goes yep. on for a while. <laughs> <laughs> It so clearly feels like, oh, they just told him to improv being mean to her. And he picked the oh, stupidest yeah. thing to complain about. Yeah. And then and then she she's finally able to do it, but she forgets some part at the end of it. And he scolds her for that. And she's like, why do you have to be so mean to me? And she's right, by the way. Like, yeah, the part yeah, that she yeah. forgot was she wasn't, as we'll soon learn, sorry to, to give away the end of it. She, uh, she didn't have gum in her mouth because that's the, the special activation device. To, <laughs> or to a monkey it. mask. Yo, I hated the monkey mask so Where much. Where the hell did she keep that? Why is that necessary? Like, why would you, why would you call attention to that? How stupid is that? It makes no fucking sense. It Go makes no find, sense. This is an Ocean's 8. This is the easiest fucking thing. Go find someone who can make you a replica of that mask. Like it's obvious. If you're gonna yep. if you're gonna smuggle something in, get Mindy Kaling, have her mommy make you a replica. It's easy. Yep. Yep. It's also yep. really weird that they establish when the Rembrandt is stolen that the thief, whoever steals it thing, is putting up pictures of Elvis whenever they steal something, and then they don't do that with the mask. Yeah, it's it's like out of uh, Home Alone. They're the wet bandits. They're the Elvis bandits. The blue <laughs> bandits. They are the wet which, bandits. Which, like, by even in Home Alone, the moral of Home Alone is like, don't have a don't don't have a signature when you when you're a thief because then they'll know every ha- yep. house you hit on the block. Yep, that is true. <laughs> that is the only message of Home Alone. <clears throat> so that, then, that uh, so then, Aaron. Thibidu? Thibidu? Uh, Finger name shows up. I don't, I don't know Thibidu. how to say his last name. Thibidu. Thibidu? Okay, sure. Thibidu. Uh, he shows up. It's they have a scene, whatever. But um, then we have Mac and Jin doing what I could honestly say is one of the most boring training sequences I've ever seen. 
of them doing the training for the the bongs or the 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 you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah they, blowing they, up the the floor tile thing that they need to get right, in. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and and doing it to the sh- yeah, yeah to, the, to the twelve the, the twelve chimes of the uh, you know when when a clock strikes clock. midnight. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, he even gives her shit because their stupid fucking crash pad thing that is mm-hmm. going to catch their block of granite that they cut out mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't inflate fast enough. This yep. is supposed to be a, a second. You're supposed to take one yeah. second to inflate. Like then you figure it yeah. out. You're the one who came up with this stupid crash pad. <laughs> Again, I am banking on that all being improv. Like I think there was an a training montage with no dialogue and yeah. then they got there and were like hey sean just say something <laughs> world world famous improver sean, yeah. connery. sean connery well it certainly Do fits your magic. yeah can i can i ask you a question kenny because you're I, we both like the rock i don't know how you feel about the rock jessica are you a fan of the rock yeah i like the rock uh, i think i'm probably with you i like the rock i know that kenny and loves the rock i think it's the best action movie ever made it's okay. I mean listen it I I it's <laughs> I, I, That was I, the I, best I, okay I've ever heard. <laughs> I will accept no okays. <laughs> but um sarcastic or otherwise <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because Sean Connery, for all intents and purposes, he's, he has a lot more action in, or it certainly seems like he does a lot more action in The Rock than he does in this, obviously. Like physical, actual action. Yeah. The character actually does things. Um, but don't you feel as though it has, like, this is the shittiest version of his character from The Rock? Uh, no. Yeah. No offense. No? I just, like, I think this just sucks. Like, I think that it has a similar dynamic of like the guy who's like, I've done this before and I'm the master and you're the apprentice sort of thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess, I guess you're right that there is like, there is a lot of shared <clears throat> DNA there. Like what, what it felt like to me was I thought the rock was 95. This was 99, four years. He is yep. physical on the rock, right? He is rolling Correct. around. He is running. Yep. He is fighting. He is throwing a convincing punch. Like he's physical in that movie and he's 60, 60 or he's, uh, is he 65? He's almost 70 this movie. So he's 65 years old in that movie. And it just kind of struck me how much goes between <laughs> 65 and 69. Like it, he, he, he looks like a frail man in this movie. <laughs> Whereas in that movie, like he comes out of the jail with his long hair, his full beard, and he looks like he could break anybody's neck in that room. So. I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I'm looking at his filmography right now. I agree with you, Kenny. It's it's interesting that he, so The Rock is 96 and 96. The Rock was a big fucking movie. I remember the, I remember The Rock being a big deal. You know what I mean? People really loved that movie, understandably so. Um, and he does not really capitalize on that. The next movie he does is that Avengers movie with uh, Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman, where he plays the villain and. You know, and then and then entrapments in ninety nine. So that there's a part of me that big j- movie though. It was, it was, but he's not really doing much action in it. But my point is that like he could have come off the rock, and he probably could have banged out a couple, you know, shitty action movies, and people would have been on board for it. And he didn't, and I'm just sort of wondering why. He could have done a little Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson, run, yeah, right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But it's hard. Like, <laughs> anyway, those those, those movies are. Those movies are hard to make well. Like, 
and you see it from the Liam Neeson movies. I mean, you know, I think he's made probably 10 of them now and maybe like three of them are not, or not the worst. So, yep. Yeah. Um, so then we get to the, to the heist of the, of the Chinese mask. Uh, we can all agree Jin's dress is hideous. Um, so they're all, did you notice that they shot Connery with like a soft lens for a little bit of that scene when she was coming down the stairs? Yeah. Uh, then Jin's wearing a truly stupid masquerade mask at that. And at he's that. not wearing one at Anything. all. This is the worst masked ball I've ever seen. <laughs> Hers is see-through, and he is not wearing one. Great disguise, guys. Good work, guys. <laughs> um, I thought the underwater heist stuff, and I have to admit, I kind of liked the lo-fi hiding in the hiding the explosions and the sound of the clock like that to me was like i thought that was a highlight of the movie i admit that yeah i admit that yeah, I, fine. I, I enjoyed that <laughs> it's, it's not like inspired but it's fine for this movie it is yes it is it is better put together than the rest of the plot <laughs> or the yeah, movie period yeah um so then they steal the mask and mac accuses Jin of planning to sell the mask to a buyer uh, is, is this when they, he is this when he drowns her four times? Yeah, it's fucking yes. crazy. Yeah, yes. it's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. horrifying. Yeah. It's truly yeah. like she also truly does not horrifying. try to swim away when he's trying to drown her because she is in the water and he is holding her down and she makes no move to swim in the other direction. She lets him drown her. It just feels. I like agree. And then movie, it, this movie wouldn't have been that hard to to make <laughs> better. I, I have no concept at this point or at any point in the entire movie what their actual relationship to each other is in terms of the way they feel about the other one. Like, I get that, like, to some extent we're supposed to feel like, you know, and I say this with several grains of salt, two attractive people who are attracted to each other. But I don't really get the the gamesmanship of it, right? Like, it's because of what you said in the beginning, Jessica, the idea of we have no we have no entry point um to understand what her character is thinking but i don't even get it in the final analysis like who's playing who at what point and for what purpose i couldn't agree with you more yeah it's uh, very murky i also the 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 moment that really highlights exactly what you're talking about kenny is the moment and i don't obviously give a shit about spoiling it it's the moment at the end when he gives her the the um the parachute and she's like, but what? I, will I ever see you again? And I'm just like, what? Like you, I, I don't care about either of you. I have no understanding of your relationship. Is she into him sexually or is he like a father figure, a mentor? I don't understand it. And I don't for a second believe that she actually cares if she sees this guy again. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually, everything up until the last thing, like, yeah. She's a baby in this movie, right? She's a yes, little baby yes, and he's yes. and he's her like dad or grandfather. And that yes. is what they've established like over the course of the movie that like she is a baby and she needs her dad. So like I do get why or at least I feel something to the effect of like at every point of this movie when she's been like lost on her own plan, she's gone to her daddy for help and he's basically said, you know, tighten the string. But um, but aside from but aside from that, like, uh, yeah, I know this is this is a movie this is a movie about a, this is a movie about a, an, an old 
dead man and a little baby trying <laughs> trying, trying to steal from the largest building in Southeast Asia. By the way, that's it, a better movie. Give it to more give it to Maury Chaikin, by the way. And like Maury oh Chaikin, yeah. you know, Maury Chaikin. Maury Chaikin. Like <laughs> Maury Chaikin. Yeah. Maury Chaikin was on Entourage. And Maury Chaikin is like uh, a nice guy and a good actor. But Maury Chaikin is the guy who's supposed to play Harvey Weinstein on Entourage. Like, if you put him in a major movie in this role, it's because, like, I, I wrote a list because I wanted to really get this joke in, guys. <laughs> um, it's because it's because Dustin Hoffman, James Conn, Elliot Gould, Albert Brooks, Mandy Patinkin, Sal Rubinick, <laughs> and John Polito said no. <laughs> drug dealer or the the like art the guy the yeah. weird yeah. villain guy yeah. and, okay Kuala yeah. Lumpur, that was an interesting choice with everything that happens every choice scenes. in that in that character in that performance is a choice yes, yes it is so so is the makeup yeah yep. heavy on uh, the eyeliner so so mac is drowning gin and then she somehow gets a knife and gets the jump on him but doesn't really threaten him with it because uh, literally about a second later, she just gives him the knife. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's what you do with guys that try to drown you. You know, you want to establish trust again after that. So you hand them a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That's how it works. Uh, so then Jin convinces him that her insurance company is the real cover and that she has planted even bigger heist of $8 billion from the quote unquote international clearance bank. Uh, in Malaysia, in the North Tower of the Patronus Towers. Uh, and then they kiss. They have that terrible kiss. Um, She's sleeping naked again for no reason. Yeah. And he covers her up like a dad does, but then kisses her like a dad does. And then she opens her eyes. And I knew she was going to open her eyes. And I wanted to see what sort of emotion she tried to convey when she opened her eyes and there's none like yeah. you have no idea what you're supposed to be feeling in that moment it's fucking ridiculous this fucking movie i have no idea uh, what anyway. i'm supposed to be feeling in this moment <laughs> <laughs> so uh during the setup Cruz uh and his team with the guidance of Fucking Bing, uh, Bing Rames. Track down Jin, confirm that she is on a mission to bring Mac in. And now we have, like, the, the I guess, essentially, like, the big heist of the movie or the, or the big action set piece of the film. And something that bothered me, and I don't know if you guys clocked it, is when they use the, uh, the infrared lighting to see the fingerprints on the security keypad. But you wouldn't know what order those buttons I were pressed in. I hate that. I'm totally with you. Well, I thought they knew because this the weird, creepy art dealer guy gave her the password and said the thing about don't use a hammer to whatever, and that was what it. But it doesn't change the fact they still don't know. They don't know the order. But I and think that I think those are words. Those are kanji. Those are words, and they entered it in the order that the phrase goes. But then why do they need the fingerprints in the infrared? That is a very good point. But there is a bigger problem with this heist that I was wondering if you guys got. Did anybody else? Okay, did you guys catch the problem with the atomic clock thing? Uh, probably. I don't know. Go ahead. It went to 25. I know. It was weird. No. Okay. So maybe I don't know how atomic clocks work, but her plan is that they need to steal an extra 10 seconds by faking out this clock to add a tenth of a second every minute. 
which means that every 10 minutes they get one second, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. They set it to start an hour before they do the heist, <laughs> which is 60 minutes, not 100 minutes. So they only buy six seconds. <laughs> And like I'm not I love good at math. So much. <laughs> I'm not good at math, and immediately I was like, "Wait, that can't be it. That can't be right." <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, atomic oh, clock fantastic. hours are a hundred minutes. Everybody knows that. That's yeah, that's and, on and you. Do they operate in base six? I don't. Yes. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. oh man. Oh, that um, makes me so happy. That makes me really happy. Oh, so um, so then, despite the presence of crews and other security watching the building, the theft takes place Wait, in the final on. seconds. I, I need I need help because Jessica, yeah, I think yeah. you hit on this earlier, and I just like you know in in the kind of the fog of the idiocy of this movie, I just kind of allowed it to yada 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 over me. Why yeah. was Cruz there? Period. Question mark. Well, this goes back to the problem of what the hell is Jin's actual plan? Because, like, right. is she still planning to turn Mac in at this point to Cruz? And why would she turn him into Cruz, who is nominally an insurance guy and no longer an FBI agent? None of it makes sense. And I feel like they the thing that, like, drives me nuts about this movie is, um, among a million other things, after the first heist, they both have the other one dead to rights if they want to turn the other one in. So this move, you know what I mean? Like they've done yep, a heist. Yep. Like you're, you're, you yep. can go to jail for that. So they've done a heist together. And if they're, you know, keeping records and holding out evidence, it's over. The only way this movie works at that point is if they mutually decide we are going to you know, essentially go rogue and steal this money together and leave forever. But they don't like Connery. If he does decide that doesn't tell her until the movie's over um, and goes through all the motions of like getting her arrested. I, it, it, that none of this makes sense makes no to sense. me yep. in, no. in, in that agree. respect. But there is something like, again, different actors, different directors, different everybody. There is something like inherently romantic with, you know, in a Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of way, with two people like saying "fuck you" to your bosses, we love each other more than, right, you know, right, 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 our right, job right, or right. money or whatever we were into before we met each other. And I love Mr. <clears throat> and Mrs. Smith, like mostly because so of that. Um, yep. Like that's like the kind of di- dynamic that'll get me every time. But this movie does not have that. It's funny you bring up Mr. and Mrs. Smith because I feel like that's also a perfect. Um, comparison in the sense that that movie kind of doesn't make any sense either in its own way. Like the the end of that movie is kind of like what, but the charm and the star wattage of these two leads of, of sort of, of Lyman's understanding of, of actual improvisation and, and getting that crackle, it doesn't matter, right? You're just like, this movie is a fucking blast and I love this and it's great. Um, This movie is obviously the antithesis of that. This is when all of those things go wrong and what you're left with is you have to focus on a story that makes no sense and and is aggravating. Yeah, I think a fundamental problem is that this movie cannot decide if it is a spy movie or a heist movie. And like, the one keeps intruding on the other. If it was a spy movie, you could actually go that way with two of them and it would be a thing. But then because they 
keep having to stop and spend 25 minutes explaining and setting up a heist. You never actually get to the conversations about what is going on with them emotionally or internally at all. So they just keep, the genres just keep running into each other. Well, I think that that, that speaks to a little bit of, I I'm again, I don't know this for a fact, but I do think that speaks to the fact that you have two screenwriters that didn't work together. Right. So what you have is sort of, you know, Ron Bass does, what he does and then Broyles does what he does and the two don't ever fully gel. And, and there's a part of me that feels like, and I'm sure you, you know, when, 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 when open writing assignments or, or, or script doctorings or whatever, when a writer is brought in, they're generally brought in to focus on a specific storyline or a specific element rather than the thing as a whole. And that's why movies like this, where they feel piecemeal, they feel like, certain things are written by certain people and it never actually feels like it's a camel basically. It just, it sucks. Yeah. Um, so then at this point, uh, Jin pulls the plug on her laptop prematurely and sets off the alarms. Also not sure how that, how or why or what causes that. Yep. Seemed Don't like worry about such, it. Seems like like such an oversight on their on their behalf. <laughs> 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 yes, I would agree. Uh, they narrowly escape the computer vault and are forced to cross the lights hung from the bottom of the bridge linking the two towers. Um, this was a really stupid action scene because. Yes. It didn't really make any physical sense, which kind of bothered me. Like, I'm not really sure why all of a sudden this cable starts to fray. I I, I also, did you guys feel like, so forgive me because this is a little bit logistical and stupid, but there is the, the bolt thing that attaches the cable to the bridge. And then that piece flies off and wedges itself between two beams. But the way that it's wedged there looks so loosely done that there's they would just have plummeted to their death. <laughs> like it doesn't I make agree. any sense. Did you feel this way or did I pay work. too much attention? I stopped caring at okay, that point. Okay. okay, cool, cool, cool. That's fine. That's fine. What I just I wanted to put it out there. I mean, what I didn't understand was like they have parachutes. Why did they not just jump out yeah. of the building? Just use with? them. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah. Seriously. What was the plan once they got to the other side of the tower? There were also agents over there. Yeah. It also comes back to your teleporting theory that you both have because when they're both when they're both it's, dangling it's from this thing, right? Very, it's more Jessica's. Jessica's. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and and Connery is holding Catherine C. Jones. They're dangling from this, basically over the precipice of what looks like I don't know several hundreds of feet over Malaysia. And then it just kind of cuts away to them just climbing back up. Like it, it never really, you never really see the actual physical like rescue component of it. They only yeah. show the danger. It's so strange. It's like they just didn't have a shot of it or something. I, I don't know. I was very, also very, super very annoyed that at this point it's like 25 <laughs> minutes after midnight on the millennium and suddenly a fireworks show starts behind them. <laughs> and, <they're laughs> and it's like, did you guys not get the memo? Is it is there a time zone thing? 25 minutes after, like, over there in That's sight? Real. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so then we have the moment where Jin gets basically, they lose one of the, the fucking parachutes and he gives her one and says, meet me at the train station the next day. And she says and cries, but I, I you know, I don't know when I'm ever going to see you again or some bullshit like that. So I'm going to read just this final portion of what happens at the train station just so we have it. And then we can explain why it makes no sense. 
Jin arrives at the station waiting for Mac. He shows up late with Ving Rhames, who reveals himself with fellow FBI agents. He explains that Cruz is here and that the FBI have been looking for him for some time. Two years ago, when Ving Rhames caught and arrested Mac, he made a deal to help the FBI arrest Jin, who was the primary target all along. However, the aging thief has another plan, which is to help her escape. Mac slips Jin a gun and quietly explains that he returned only seven of the eight billion dollars they had stolen electronically in the heist. Jin then pretends to hold Mac hostage at gunpoint, threatening to shoot him if the agents follow her. She boards a train. The FBI heads to the next station. Jin jumps the train mid-station and arrives back and says to Mac she needs his help for another job, and they both board the train. Yeah. That's it. You explain why it makes no sense. Also, also, there's the part where, where uh, Mac bribes Ving Rhames with the five data chips that she stole out of the stupid vase in the, the oh, right. heist. Oh, right. Fuck, I forgot that. And it's not oh. clear, like... Is she, is he giving those to the FBI? Is Ving Rhames corrupt and is going to sell those? Like, he just bribes an FBI agent. Also, y- yes to all of that. And and also, why would they give a fuck if, if she shot Mac? Just sh- or shoot both of them in the legs. Like, I don't, this idea that like threatening, like putting a gun to, to Mac's head all of a sudden is like their brilliant getaway plan is mind-numbingly stupid. Well, I also just go back to she's been working in an insurance company for five years under an FBI agent. Why did they not arrest her during any of that time? Yeah. Kenny, you were going to say something? Yeah, he didn't have to explain the entire plot to her. No. No. I I know that he had to explain the entire plot to us. So I I get that. But like, (laughs) if you're going to have someone explain the entire plot to you. You got to do it mm-hmm. better than like in a moment of like duress and urgency in hushed tones while yep. he's given a minute to say goodbye. What? So like <laughs> he could have just slipped her the gun and she could have held the gun to his head and there could have been a more cinematic way to explain what had happened or just don't. Like, I got it. I got it at the end. Like, he turned on her. Uh, if I saw the gun exchange, I would have figured it all out. You know, and I'm not like, I'm pretty bad at this when it comes down to like figuring fucking plots out. So, yeah. And she also, the gun never gets used. But so can I also say, too? I know. I got, no, what I was going to say as well to, 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 to piggyback on your point, Kenny, of like, why explain it to us? I also don't give a fuck. So just get me out of the movie faster. Like, just yeah. I, like that. That's the thing that's maybe perhaps one of the more annoying parts of this end of this movie is that it's about 10 to 15 minutes. Like, it should have been five. Anyway. I mean, the whole movie, ideally, should have been five. <laughs> um, do we want to rate this, Kenny? Do you want to rate this movie? Yeah. Go for yeah. it. You're first. Uh, all right. So, I mean, sadly for me, I gave this movie a 28 before the podcast, which is bad. Oh, Quite wow. Quite bad. Okay. Um, yep. But not that bad. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 12. I think it is one of the worst <laughs> movies we've done. I thought I, th- I, I thought that was the kind of rating I was giving it. But um, – yep. There's absolutely nothing redeeming about it. And, uh, you know, the movie makes me kind of mad during it. And then, like, the milk thing and the revelation about me. <laughs> um, 
we gotta go. We 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 gotta bring it down to twelve uh, for psychiatric bills. Um, you guys the, go ahead. The milk thing, fuck, that's fantastic. Oh god, that's really funny. I, I'm 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 similar. I didn't see this in '99. I'm similarly where, around where you are, Kenny. I, I had it at about a 19 or a 20 before we uh, sat down, but I'm at a 13 now. I mean, I'm 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 you know, this is. I would say, you know, we've got some, we have some bottom, bottom barrel movies, right? Like we have Love Stinks, which is the nadir of this podcast and, and broke Kenny for all intents and purposes. So like love, <laughs> it's going to be hard to beat Love Stinks, I think, uh, in terms of badness, but, uh, love this isn't is chill worst. factor. Love Stinks is the worst. Yeah. No, Love Stinks. Is the worst. Yeah. This, this isn't in, in sort of, this is in chill factor territory of how did you fuck this up? This was a layup, you know? <laughs> I don't know which is worse. I I, I gave <laughs> Chill Factor a three. I you think did. Chill, you did. yes, but that was early in the podcast, and I think I was trying to flex a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think I I I think Chill Factor. I, I Chill Factor is so unapologetically <laughs> boring and yeah. miserable, yeah, and stupid. And not fun yes. in any way. At least we had a really good time talking about this we movie did. on the podcast. So, like, there, there is some fun to be had here. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what, do, what did you think, Jessica? You saw this in 99. So what are your thoughts then and what are your thoughts now? I, I remember – I mean, I don't have any strong memory of the film. Like, I remember – I I was a big Ebert devotee, so going to see it on that recommendation sure. and being like, ah – that was kind of garbage. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I would say probably because I was 17 and hadn't seen a lot of movies at the time, I would have called it like, this is out of 100, right? 99. Out of 99. I would call it like a maybe a 30 because I didn't know anything about movies. So uh, like a 31 out of 100. Yeah, but definitely, <laughs> definitely now... I would say, yeah, probably around 10 or 12. It, it's There's nothing good. There's not an element you can point to and be like, that was well done. Good job, yeah. wigs department. Yep. Like, nothing. Let's do that for a second. I, wigs I, department? I, no, not the wigs department. <laughs> if, you had, if, if, if you were forced, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like when... For is a baseball thing, right? But like, mm-hmm. Jessica, are you a baseball fan? I feel like you uh, are mildly. So I, you know, every year for the All Star Game, every team has to have an All Star. And as a Mets fan, it's been very funny sometimes who's been our All Star. You know, like like because it's usually like some relief pitcher who has like a two seven ERA and like is barely a bright spot on the season. Who would be the one all star if you had to say something about this movie? You're like, all right, we are, th- th- we have no choice but to put to put to put up some representation for this movie that we think like is not all bad. Is there anything there? It's uh, <laughs> a good question. Lo- it's a very locations, I will say, maybe Ooh. like um, yeah. they were not shot well, but like Kuala Lumpur was not <laughs> a big shooting lo- location in the '90s, so that was kind of a, it, like now it feels a little more trite to use those towers. But then it seemed like, wow, that's a cool thing, and the castle is a cool place. Like, great choice. I don't know, bottom of barrel. <laughs> great choice. 
That's right. a very, I mean, that might be the best answer. I mean, I'll say this. I, um, I mean, I guess similarly, I'd probably say maybe cinematography. I mean, like it's, it's, it's shot relatively well. Um, you know, like it's got, it's got, I guess, enough of a slickness to it. Um, that or, I mean, I wanted to save Ving Rames, but he is, he's so unengaged in this movie. <laughs> it's hard terrible. to even really. I yeah. was waiting for him because I knew he was in the movie and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that'll be a breath of relief. He's always a lot of fun. And he was nothing. I know you have like yeah. two, like two Oscar winners are the stars of this movie, right? Connery yeah. and Catherine yep. Zeta Jones. Ving Rames is like, I believe, a Juilliard trained actor who's like won Golden yeah. Globes and Emmys. And um, it's great, can be great. And know. Will Patton was in Armageddon. So, like, you have the best, the best of the bunch here. <laughs> and remember the Titans. <laughs> and remember the and Titans. Yeah. And he's great yeah. in that. Will Patton is, yeah, I was just joking. Will Patton's all right. And Maury Chaykin. Yeah, I like know. Will Patton. But no, it's not like there's, it's not like it's a, it's an, it's not like it's an, the, the joke is like, you know, Catherine Zeta Jones wonders for an, for a, musical and sean connery won his because everyone thought it'd be really cute to give a award to james bond um and i love the untouchables right. but like come on you know so uh that's yep. the, end of the story but ving rames is a great actor ving rames is great this this is just i mean the, the, the literally the word that comes to mind when i think of this film is just fucking lazy like no one brought their a game everyone yeah. just fucking phoned it in uh it's it's lazy in every department um and it's it's embarrassing (laughs) like i don't i wish i wish that that you know i not to belabor the point but you know i really love some of ron bass's movies i i think that he is absolutely capable and has proven himself to write great scripts i think that william broyles is this is is also a very good screenwriter i don't understand how this happened Sometimes it just but happens. But it did. Yeah, it just happens. Um, so uh, so next week, we're doing the Pokemon movie. Jessica, have you seen the Pokemon movie? I have not. Are you a Pokemon fan? I have absolutely no knowledge of Pokemon. I don't know how I've avoided I'm, it. I'm right there with you, Jessica. But it is a large blank spot in my pop culture knowledge. I feel I feel similarly like I've failed myself somehow because people love it. Well, you have. So are we going to be doing? Are we going to be doing Pokemon the movie two thousand? Correct. Pokemon two thousand. Pokemon. It's Pokemon the movie two thousand. Come on, have some respect. But My um, Jessica, I also have limited knowledge, but I, I have children, so I've seen some Pokemon. Um, what when you think of Pokemon? Knowing nothing <laughs> except for its cultural impact, what do you mm-hmm. think? Uh, and what are your what are your uh, what's your commentary on that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I all right. Here are the things I know about Pokemon. I, I Pikachu is cute. Yeah, uh, yep, true. There is something called Jigglypuff, and I don't know what it is, but I like that name. <laughs> it is another Pokemon, <laughs> and it caused a lot of people to mill around the park near my house for several months when the game came out where you hunt them or whatever. Um, And Werner Herzog, yeah, Werner Herzog had an amazing take on Pokemon where he was asking if like you're able to murder them 
And I'm going to just let that inform my view of the entire franchise. Oh. That's what it is. It's about really cute anime creatures murdering each other. That like is that. what it is. That's why they needed a detective. Mm. I wish that I liked Detective Pikachu more. I saw Detective Pikachu knowing very little about Pokemon. Um, and I thought it would be more fun than it was. Here's my feeling on Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Because my son, my, 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 my eldest son, who is eight, went through a Pokemon period around five, five, six, was obsessed. So I, I was, I was up enough mm-hmm. on Pokemon yeah. to like, to, to be able to understand what's happening in that movie to some extent. If you didn't know anything about Pokemon, like it sounds like you guys know mm-hmm. nothing about it, it's literally impossible to understand what's happening in that movie. <laughs> it, there was, there was, there was no attempt to, to, there was no attempt to make this a mass product, which they could have. And I think they could have done it in right. a way that didn't alienate yeah. the core fans. But it does feel like, you know, like, like for instance, I've now seen the Sonic movie like five times <laughs> and I have very little like. Is it good? Yeah, because it's very fucking easy to, 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 to see what they're doing there. And like the concession <laughs> they cool. made to the fans was the right move. But they didn't go too far into Sonic lore because if you go too far into Sonic lore, you realize like this is video game shit they made up on the fly because of what was easy to animate so like right. don't like get too deep into this shit in the first movie you know um but that's that's is, kind of the is, end of my do life they, I, I strongly are, disagree is, with your take on the sonic movie that's all i'm gonna oh say. shit no bad. no no let's hear it <laughs> well i i actually i have not seen the movie i had to cover the script um and it I don't understand why it was a Sonic movie. You spend no time in Sonic's world, which is the thing that everybody loves about Sonic, is all the cool like zones you go to in the games. Whoa, like, you're you're too nobody, all in on you're too all in on Sonic. Nobody cares, <laughs> nobody cares about Sonic the character. He has no character. Like you care that it's pretty. And the oh, movie was a road yes. trip in a truck. I don't. That's so funny. I totally failed to understand it. I respect Pokemon for being like, no, we are not making this accessible to non-fans. Like, um, that, that's, that's ballsy. I'll say this about the Sonic movie, which I haven't seen, which I do kind of want to see because I actually really loved playing Sonic when uh, I was a kid. Um, I agree with you, Jessica, that like part of a big part of the game is the worlds, right? Like it's the visual component of Sonic. Um, it's, it's, I'm not invested in Sonic like I'm invested in like Link or Zelda or something yeah. like that. Like there isn't, it's, yeah. there's no character really to speak of. Um, but I also kind of respect the, 90s acknowledgement of getting Jim Carrey and like basically feeling from what I've heard like a 90s movie which is sort of endearing in its own way I don't know I think that there's a reason that Sonic is like by far by far by far by far the most successful video game adaptation of all time yeah and I sure. think it's I think it's because it wasn't made for the hardcore fans. I think it, it's super accessible. And Jessica, I don't I, I don't want to give anything away, but they certainly no spoilers. they certainly hint towards a more world infused movie in the sequel. Well, yeah, they, then I'll watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but they I don't spent, need a two hour prologue to get to the good shit. But I think that I, but I, my point is I think America needed the two hour prologue. 
Um, I think the world needed the two hour prologue. That's so um, good. so That's yeah, so I, I, uh, I don't know. I was actually quite impressed with Sonic given how horrible almost every video game movie ever made is. What is, what's, what would you say is, is a good one outside of that? Outside there's of never, Sonic. Cause like, it's never my, been a good one, but Mortal Kombat's the best. People love Mortal Kombat. I mean, Street Fighter's terrible. Super mm. Mario Brothers is terrible. Terrible. It's tough. It's that's why this Halo TV show. I'm just like I don't get it, guys. No, there, there's there's mean. never been a good one, and there's only been really bad ones. And like ones that like very like Doom should have been good. It's not that fucking hard yeah. Um, yeah. to make a good Doom movie. It feels like, or I think there was a Duke Nukem movie. Like these things, like yep. you know, these like, should there be could layups. Be, there could yeah. be a Wolfenstein movie. There could be a Mist movie. Like yeah. these things, Link. You know, I I think they would. I I think Zelda. They would do a horrible job. Game of Thrones thronesifying it yeah. and making it just fucking unwatchable but like yeah, yeah there's obviously you know the bones of a good link movie um i yeah. have to I, I have to say i mean it was garbage and not a good movie but just in terms of it was fun and exactly what i was asking for from it the rampage movie was pretty fun i feel oh, I you saw it. i think i've seen that too and i think that it was that wildly stupid but kind of fun <laughs> also it's like like they did a really good job like realizing that we have you know based essentially we have three monsters and that's all we need to take from this game yep you know like you know it's cool so funny Where are you it's, it's really interesting like the, you know the three of us have you know spent i don't know probably 10 minutes talking about about video game movies and when you think about how shockingly lucrative video games are like it, it is a, a staggering amount of money um and that no one has been able to really capitalize on it is mind-blowing to me <laughs> I, I think it go oh ahead. go ahead Kenny. no no please I, I think it has to do with the way narrative is treated in video games versus films. Like you can't capture the ability to be in an avatar as you are in video games the way you do in a movie and have it be a good movie because protagonists need to have a personality. And most mm-hmm. game avatars don't, or at least they give you enough leeway that you you identify so strongly with the the character that like, I, I don't know. There's something about the way narrative structure works between the twos that d- does not compute. I was going to say that, a version of the same yeah. thing. You know, it like it's a step backwards. It would be like right. it would be like taking your favorite movie and then saying we're turning this into you know we're doing a podcast version of this, and for you to feel like right. that's that 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 is as you know enthralling or engaging. As a movie, as a as a movie, or in this case, you know, as as a video game. Um, do you think it has anything to do with? And again, I'm not a video game person, so forgive my my ignorance. But the video games that I've played, for the most part, um, you know, the 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 big part of a video game is is in the world building, right? Like quite literally in the world that you're inhabiting, and it's and it's not so much the characters, right? Like character development is just not important. So what I'm kind of surprised at is that considering like, look at a movie like Warcraft, right? Like, I mean, they had world building on world building to work with and yet they still couldn't find a way to, you know, to translate that to the screen. It's just, it's kind of shocking to me. Do you know how... It also tends to not work in reverse. You you rarely get good video games made off of movie properties. Right, right, right. Also true. Yes. Do you know exactly, how people... Yeah 
almost always say that the book is better than the movie when they've read the yep. book first. Yep. yep. Because they've already imagined the best possible version of the movie for themselves. In a, in a yep. situation like Warcraft, like these people have already – like big Warcraft players or my son's a huge Minecraft guy now. He's already done more Minecraft shit in like the 18 months he's been playing uh, that than any movie can come close to doing in an hour and a half. And it would necessarily be a disappointment for him. He would necessarily yeah. walk out and say that was like watching a baby play Minecraft when he spends you know time on YouTube watching these like you know engineering guru genius people do things like you can't even believe. So I think that there's there's some element. I totally hear that. that. But I do feel like to your point about character. Yeah. Part of the reason, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight, Jessica, but part of the reason Sonic worked <laughs> is is because they took him out of his world. Like I have this idea, and again, it may never work because it's a video game. But like I want to do a show or a movie. It's a show about Little Mac from the Mike Tyson's Punch Out series. The movie wouldn't be, you know, the Mike Tyson's Punch-Out series or Punch-Out is a very simple game. You're only in the ring. That's all it is. But I see something compelling in an, in, or, or like kind of naturally there in an underdog story, like an undersized boxer and what you can do with that outside of the ring. And that's where I would set that movie. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and I think yeah. that like there is something to that. Like I would – I think a Link movie would be – potentially really cool if they didn't just try to graft the zelda lore onto game of thrones which is what i fear they would do well can i i also i just want to say one last thing because i think and it kind of encapsulates both kind of everybody's theories on this a little bit because what you just said about um rollins playing minecraft makes me think about the fact that when you're playing this game um there are levels of complexity going on in terms of the fact that you're 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 creating the narrative or in minecraft you're creating the worlds whatever the case might be right so to translate that to the screen it has to be simplified because obviously studios want it to apply to as many people as possible so the universality of trying to then take this video game where you've gone on this complex journey and then reducing it down to something that everybody can do in order to make it into a film you're losing that specialness of the thing that you've gone through. Like, it's like you're trying to sort of, it's, it's square peg round whole shit, but it's also like you're taking something that's, that's far more interesting uh, and making it less interesting to apply to more people. And then when you've done that, what you're left with is, is just not much of anything. It's very well, to, strange. The I, simplification I, I is, yeah. yeah, is also to a, you know, to a time limit issue. At, like video games would probably make better right. TV adaptations because a lot of video games are 40 to 50 right. hours long and you can't right. make that an hour and a half movie and have it be at all comprehensible. And I think that's where a lot of the adaptations of like RPGs and big world games like uh what was the one we were talking about earlier? Uh Warcraft? Yeah, Warcraft, sorry. Wanted to say Warhammer, that's different. Um <laughs> fall down is that it it does not really bring in the scope of the world and people want the scope of the world. That's what's interesting. Then maybe Halo is the answer. I doubt it is, but maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that project we'll has been around forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. For, I mean, listen, years, who the hell knows? Like that. Yeah. 
but I, 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 I actually, I do agree with you, Jessica. I think that, I think that video games, it's interesting because a couple years ago, my managers brought up, um, Final Fantasy to me because I guess they've been trying to do that as a, as a TV show. And it was way, way outside my purview. So I, I obviously didn't do anything with it, but it did make me think like maybe that is what needs to happen to these games because the, the expanse of them is just so overwhelming that to shrink it down just not only doesn't do its service, but actually like makes a bad product. So apparently people um, do like the resident evil movies. I've never seen one, but I've I think seen the there, first one. I think there is but a people fan love base them. for them. Yeah. Um, yep. but, uh, before we go, I think they cracked the code with that one in terms of budget. I think that Paul yeah. W.S. Anderson yeah, understood yeah. how to make them cheap and, 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 you know, and there's been five, and I think them. that does start to scratch yeah. the surface of what Jessica's talking about in terms of like totally. different adventures and different worlds. But before we go, I want to hit on something yes. Jessica said earlier. It might not have been in this mm-hmm. version of the podcast. Uh, as you know, this is our third attempt. But um, <laughs> I, it was just in the back of my mind. I, I, uh, I'm so Because of the J.J. Abrams thing, I'm so compelled to ask your take on Lost because you said, I've seen Lost. And I think that there's been like over the last year or so <laughs> as it's like come up on the 10th anniversary, there's been this like, there's been this reappraisal, particularly of the finale in like uh, by, by critics and people online trying to convince me that it was good when it was really the worst. So what's your take? Jessica? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh yeah, no, it was, the, I loved the first season. I was completely, hooked and I thought it was great and I thought the character building was great and I thought the world they were setting up was really interesting and then you know from the second season on it became evident that there was no plan and that they were they were doing this more or less on the fly um this became more concrete to me when I I I was at a Q&A with JJ Abrams when he did Star Trek and somebody asked him a question about Lost and he said that like they pitched Lost like they wanted to pitch another script and the executives i guess at abc or or the production company i can't remember were like no we want you to give us a take about an airplane something about an airplane we don't know so they wrote the lost pitch as like a fine let's do this to make these guys happy we don't want to do this and then they'll shut up and we can focus on what we want to make um and that kind of summarizes the show for me because they wrote a very tight season and then there was just nothing there was there was no plan and like if you're determined to find gold in a production that is made by competent people and good actors and people that are working very hard, you can always find like some aspects of it that are good and that you can claim like redeem the show. But I don't think anybody with any level of experience writing thinks that they knew what the hell they were doing or that they successfully pulled it off. Like, it is so obviously by the seat of your pants writing. Which, like, I, I would well, say okay. that's okay to some extent, except, and where I agree with you, except the promise of this show was answers. And I don't need answers. You know, I, I'm not trying to be, I'm, it's, it's not, that's not what I mean. But, but I don't mean, like, giving me an answer for everything. What I mean is when you go on a journey with a, show and this is more you know akin to movies but with a show like lost that very clearly states i think very early on this is a bigger world 
there's a lot of stuff going on here and just let me take take me let me take you by the hand and this is going to work out because I have a plan. And they very clearly don't at the end of the day or maybe they did and the plan was so underwhelming because I mean I think it's plausible that their plan was there in purgatory and everyone figured that out about three episodes into the first season. Um, but uh, I, I, I agree. I think that I think that they set their own expectation level really high and it's not my fault or your fault or the fault of the audience that we bought into it. That's why the show is so exciting. Well, that's the well, other kept, thing that, that oh. bothered. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Uh, I was, I was just going to say that I, I think that um, I'm going to talk into both sides of my mouth here, but I, 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 I think you'll understand what I mean in a second. You know, I, I am not a person who generally um, subscribes to the idea of, uh, it's the journey, not the destination. I don't, I don't love that. Um, you know, when a show doesn't stick the landing, um, it certainly tarnishes the journey that you've been on. Yeah. But for some reason, I, and I, I wish that I could tell you why, and I, I, I really don't know why. For some reason with this show, that's kind of how I fall on it. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it so much and it didn't stick the landing and it didn't answer all of my questions but I'm kind of okay with it. And I can't really tell you why. And perhaps it's because I remember just moments of that show where I was just like, this show can do fucking anything. And I'm so excited by the potential of it. And the, the, the ride was just so much fun that the fact that it didn't totally stick the landing didn't bother me. But I totally understand where you guys are coming from. And I have similar feelings about basically every other television show that fails. So what were you going to say, Jessica? I, I think there's something about the filmmaking in Lost and, and it's part of my, <laughs> my issue with, with JJ Abrams and just like mystery boxing in general is there's a, there's a cynicism and almost a cruelty in the part of the filmmaker who intentionally tries to get you to, not to misdirect you into thinking something is important, but that's really a cover for this other thing that's important, but who tries to, trap you into thinking something is important and then is like ha no idiot you were wrong to even care about that like that is mean that's cynical that's that's abusing your audience instead of like bringing them on a journey where there's all sorts of interesting surprises that lead to new things this was just like this was more like having zombies jump out at you at a an open house or like a haunted house and then being and then laughing at you for being startled by that it I don't know. It really bothers me on like a, an existential level. <laughs> I like so. I, I get I, that. That's I totally with, fair. Yeah, I, I agree with, that. and I, I I hear what all you guys are saying, both of you guys, and I, I agree with pretty much everything. Like to some extent, Phil, I I feel that way about Lost, right? Like yeah. I have great love for Lost. Like I will always have great love for Lost, mostly because of what you said. Like the just the the, the lack of rules and the lack of like form and it was just it was it was an exciting watch every week and there's something to be said for that um Mm -hmm. i was super let down by the ending mostly because they set my expectations high and i don't really understand the argument that that i I don't i don't understand the argument that basically feels like god bless damon lindelof who's done so many amazing things but it basically feels like a lot of people feeling bad about the way they treated damon lindelof um it feels like a pat on the head nowadays um so there's 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 that aspect to it to your point jessica i agree with you too like 
I don't mind being manipulated or I don't mind being led astray if that is the point of view of the character with whom I'm supposed to be identifying. Right? I want to I, I want to experience yeah. I want to experience the journey the way the characters do. So when sometimes, I mean if that's the intent of the of the of the piece. So when, you know, they they hear the French woman over the thing or when they, you know, see a polar bear or whatever, like, yeah, like and, and those things ultimately don't matter that much. They matter a little and there's, you know, there there's an element there, but I think the moment they started building this world out to include Ben and include the Dharma initiative and include the real world and include, you know, literal God and the devil was the moment that it stopped feeling like you were with the characters and more like you were with a bunch of people who didn't know what they were doing. And that was really, yeah, you know, no, I agree. Really I don't have problems. I, I, I don't have a problem. Listen, with- I, the, I completely agree with you. I understand where you're coming from. I lost her. Did you guys lose her? Yeah, I think I, I think we lost. I can hear you guys. I don't. Oh, you can't no, hear go me. Ahead. Sorry. Start from no, I don't have a problem. Go ahead. I don't have a problem. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't have a problem with stories that keep you as ignorant as your protagonist, as long as you're going along with them. But like when the show jumps between that and this weird, omniscient point of view. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's yeah. there's something about it that it wasn't like you were on the level of the characters. Like you said, it's it's that you were deliberately being tricked by the which filmmakers. Is wh- which is why I really, you know, have such a knee jerk reaction with all with everything Dan, Dan Fogelman does. Because that's how his his movies yeah. and TV shows feel. It feels like they only exist to trick the audience. They don't exist to actually uh tell a story the way any human being would tell the story unless they were an asshole. I I it, I agree with you 100%, Kenny. I would also to piggyback on that and say that uh you know, when you put J I think that JJ ultimately is trying to to entertain his audience as much as is humanly possible. Like I think that when everything is said and done, all he cares about is that you're having a good time and that you're engaged with the material that he's putting in front of you for however long that is. And he'll figure out what the next episode is when, when he has to, but ultimately he wants you to have a a fun time on this moment that's happening in front of you. Now, the problem with that to your, to both of your points is that if it's just a mystery box and he's just shaking, he's just shaking a, a, an interesting, you know, toy in front of you and there's nothing behind it, then it feels, obviously it feels hollow and it feels as though you're just being jerked around. Yeah. Should we should we wrap this up? That feels that feels like a good, <laughs> good place to. <laughs> with a, with a, with a, with JJ Abrams sucks. Let's <laughs> J- Jessica. We, we we cannot go this long next time because it. it I I love having you on it. I lo- I love the you know the the tangents we take. I think it's so much fun. Same. So yeah, thank you. I and, love coming and on. It, uh, we we really honestly we had a blast. You need to come back far sooner. Um and uh, will send you a list yeah. of the worst movies ever made. Thank no, you. No, Excellent. No. Maybe some porn would be good. That would be a logical step here. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have you back. It's gonna be great. But thank you so much for for coming on, Jess. We really appreciate it. Thanks Take care. for having me, guys.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 